understand all sorts of theology, be able to argue and debate scripture and never actually worship the God that the scriptures are about. And that's a problem. That's a big problem because people can come out very well educated and for a lot of churches in order to become the leader of the church, you have to have the proper credentialing and you can do all the schooling and not actually have the spirit of God flowing through your life, even understanding how to lead spiritually, although you have good information. When a person is moved by the Spirit, it's evident in some way. In Pastor Daniel's teaching today, we'll find out why prophecy can be such a challenge for us to accept. When God challenges us with prophecy, it's usually a message that's difficult to hear. We like to be comfortable, but if we try to avoid God's leading because it's hard, we'll really miss out. Find out how you can seek to be used by the Lord with an eager and willing heart. Now here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message, Prophets, Poultry, and Problems. All right, open your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 11. And you did read that correctly. I've entitled this message, Prophets, Poultry, and Problems. Um, mostly because that's exactly what we're going to study tonight. We broke off in the middle of chapter 11 with the fact that there was two problems. One was that Moses needed help. He was not able to lead the children of Israel by himself, and he was frustrated with the people. And if you recall in the beginning of Numbers chapter 11, he pretty much says to the Lord, if this is the way it's going to be, Lord, can you just do me a favor and kill me now? And so God promises him that he is going to place his spirit on 70 of the elders to help him lead the children of Israel. So that's the prophet piece. And then if you recall, the other issue that we had in the beginning of Numbers chapter 11 was that the people had a selective memory and they were craving meat. They were frustrated with God's miraculous provision. And so they decided that they would rather be back in Egypt because they had great meat to eat. And God says, look, I'm going to send quail, which is where we get poultry. So God's going to send the quail, and poultry is birds, and so that works. And then, of course, if we make it to chapter 12 today, which is my hope, if we get to chapter 12, we're going to see the problems, which is literally going to be Moses' own older sister and older brother, uh, Aaron and Miriam, are going to actually lead a rebellion against him. And Miriam is going to end up being a leper. And so I would pretty much characterize that as a problem, right? So you can imagine with all the things going on in Moses' life, all the struggles of leading the children of Israel, and all the things that are going on, really the last thing that Moses would want or need is a kind of a rebellion from his own family. But you and I have been around long enough to know that when it rains, oftentimes it pours, and and at It's almost like it's hitting a crescendo. So let's jump right on in. We're in Numbers chapter 11, verse 24. So Numbers is, of course, the fourth book of your Bible. You have Genesis, you have Exodus, you have Leviticus. And if you want to know anything about those books, we've studied every chapter, uh, pretty much every verse we've gone through. And so they're all in our archives on our website. 
Numbers is the fourth book. We're in chapter 11. We're picking up in verse 24, where it says this. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, and he spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad, and the spirit rested upon them. Now, they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Then Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. So here's the prophet piece of our message. Remember, Moses was struggling under the weight of the responsibility of his leadership. And God said, look, I'm going to give you 70 elders and I'm going to share the spirit that I've placed upon you. I'm going to share it with them. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. And so Moses went out and told the people what God had said. And he gathered the 70 men, it says in verse 24, of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. So he invites the 70 elders, the heads of the tribe, places them around the tabernacle, and it says, the Lord came down in the cloud, spoke to him, and took the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. Now, Moses was God's appointed leader And God placed his spirit upon Moses for the task. And what we find is that these 70 elders, in order to share in the leadership, they needed to be spirit-filled men. And so it says that God shared, in effect, the spirit that was upon Moses with the leaders. Now, you have to realize that the way God's spirit worked in the Old Testament before the completed work of Jesus and in the New Testament after Jesus's death and resurrection was different. In the Old Testament, the spirit would come upon somebody uniquely for a unique period of time and purpose. And then the spirit would, in a sense, not abide or dwell there. It was a visitation, right? But in the New Testament, after the finished work of Jesus and specifically beginning on the day of Pentecost, now you have the spirit, instead of being a visitation, the Holy Spirit becomes a habitation, And that's a big difference. There's a big difference between having a visitor and having somebody who lives in the house. And the dispensation that we live in because of the finished work of Jesus is that if you are here today and you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are not or should not be seeking a momentary visitation of the Spirit, but you should say, God, I want my life to be a holy habitation of your Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells within you. He has the deed of your house. He has, your life is his house. 
And don't get me wrong, we would like God to stir his spirit uniquely at unique times. But we should, I think what happens for the body of Christ, for the people of God, is we're so busy looking for a visitation that we forget that we're meant to be a habitation. That our life is Christ's home. And the spirit of God, if you have your, put your faith and trust in him, dwells in us perpetually. And you and I should live that way. Not running around looking for the, the next stirring, saying, no, my life is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't come and go. He comes and stays. And sure, sometimes as he indwells my life, my life being a habitation for him, sometimes he does something uniquely, but I am always in the Spirit because the Spirit is always in me. And that is the reality of what it means to be a child of God. So whether or not you are cognizant or conscious of it, whether or not you realize it or not, the Spirit of God dwells in you if you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And so it's not so much about, Lord, give me a fresh visitation. It's, Lord, you are here always. I and my life is a habitation. Now, notice, though, in order to lead God's people, somebody needed to be Spirit-filled. And I think one of the greatest problems we have in the body of Christ is that oftentimes churches are not led by spirit-filled people. And it's hard to be spiritual leaders without being led by the spirits. It's the downside. And listen, I love the fact that we live in a day and age where information is a commodity and we all have it at our fingertips. I'm a big fan of education. You give me a book and if it's big, the better. I like big fat books. I like reading them. I like digesting them. I like smart people. But the thing is, is you can get a seminary degree and a doctorate and never have an experience with the resurrected Jesus. You can understand all sorts of theology, be able to argue and debate scripture and never actually worship the God that the scriptures are about. And that's a problem. That's a big problem because people can come out very well educated and for a lot of churches in order to become the leader of the church, you have to have the proper credentialing and you can do all the schooling and not actually have the spirit of God flowing through your life, even understanding how to lead spiritually, although you have good information. The church is not meant to be led by information, although we like information. The church is led by the spirit of God. And we need to make sure that we function under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. I say that I also believe that every single one of us should seek to be leaders. You know why? Because Jesus said the greatest in his kingdom is the servant of all. And Jesus' leadership was really servanthood because he was a servant that made him a leader. And Jesus calls all of us to servanthood. Right? He calls all of us to be servants, which means if we serve the way Jesus serves, then we will be leaders the way Jesus is a leader. And really, you can't be a servant of other people unless, unless the Spirit of God is in you. Because without the Spirit of God, you say, I do not want to be a servant. I want people to serve me. See, that is the default position of somebody without the Spirit of God dwelling in them is it's about me and what you do for me. And the Spirit of God is like, no, no, no. Because I'm in you, I, I've taken care of you. Now I want you to be a blessing to the world. It's not about what people give you. It's about how you can honor me by serving. This is not for a few of us. This has to be for all of us. 
Every single one of us. There's no gradations within the body of Christ. We're all his sheep saying we want to follow the shepherd. And for all of us, the spirit of God is the essential component of our spiritual lives. That's why it's called a spiritual life. Because it is inhabited by the Holy Spirit. So it's interesting that when the spirit comes upon these men, it is evidence with prophecy. Okay? It's evidence by prophecy. Now, prophecy, when people think of prophecy, almost always someone says, oh, the, fo- the foretelling of future events. But really, out of all of God's scripture that is prophetic, only about one quarter to one third of it is actually foretelling future events. So actually, it's a faulty definition of prophecy. It's a subset. They call that predictive prophecy. The bulk of prophecy is what I would call exhortative prophecy, which literally it calls into question the status quo and it enlivens or brings forth a vision of a more glorious future. Straight up, prophets weren't popular, not because they told the future, but because they challenged the status quo. They meant to jar people out of their complacency. And I believe one of the struggles we all have as Christians, as most of us don't actually want to be challenged by the word, we just want to be affirmed by the word. And that actually has nothing to do with the Bible and church. It has to do with our culture. And so I always tell people, if you go to a church and you're not challenged by it, not that you have to agree with the pastor, but the pastor should love you enough to say, I'm going to challenge you with God's word because the pulpit needs to be prophetic. And when the church loses a prophetic pulpit, it actually loses its ability to function in the way God wants it to. God's word needs to challenge us. It needs to, if we're in an unhealthy way, comfortable, it should discomfort us. And if we are discomforted in a healthy way, God's word should then comfort us. It's one way to describe the role of a prophet. He makes uncomfortable the unhealthily comfortable, and it comforts those who are discomforted. And so you have to notice, though, the ministry of the Spirit in the life of these men was evidenced by the gifts in action. And we believe, as a church, very much in the gifts of the Spirit. Now, someone's bound to say, well, I've never experienced the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Don't worry, because God's timing is always perfect. See, God's spirit, if he indwells you because of your faith, everybody will function in the gifts differently. Now, I'm not a big fan of gifts tests. Why? Because they end up pigeonholing people, saying, this is my gift. I believe if the spirit of God dwells in you, the potentiality for all the gifts indwell all the people of God. It's just a matter of how God wants to function. And so I think for some of you, there's some of you who have the gifts of tongues and some of you who do not. Some of you have the gift of interpretation of tongues. Some of you do not. Some of you have the gifts of words of wisdom or words of knowledge or prophetic words or healings or administration. You have all these different gifts. God has them, and the potential for each one of those gifts is already in us through faith because of the habitation of the Holy Spirit. The question for our lives is, are we available to say, God, do you want to do something right now? And if God wants to do something, like if you're at church and during worship and someone speaks out in tongues, your next thing should say, Lord, do you want to give me the interpretation? See, 
But most of us, when we see or experience those things, we automatically go into spectator mode. <gasps> oh, I wonder if it's for me. Now, isn't that selfishness in action? Rather than saying, Lord, do you want to use me as part of what you're doing right now? And so I really want to encourage you as, as a follower of Jesus to say, Lord, what do you want to do right now? I'm here. We shouldn't seek to be spectators because Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's we're all in it. So we have the evidences of the gift of prophecy in these men. Now, in my translation, it says, although they never did so again, and then my Bible has a note that says, and they did not cease. So de depending on your translation, the Hebrew is a little clunky, whether they were prophets and continued in the gift going forward, or um, the New King James has it, although they never did so again, which means this was a one-time expression. And so uh, because the Hebrew is clunky, I don't really know what to do with it other than say it's either one of those. But this is their case, okay? Now, with that being said, I realize that in Christianity today, not the magazine, but in Christianity in the day and age that we live, there's a lot of discussions about the gifts of the Spirit and what you would call either cessationism, where the gifts ceased, or uh, continuationism, which means that the gifts continue. And uh, scholars love to debate that. Uh, some very popular scholars and pastors talk about that. Here's my thing for you with cessation. I don't believe in cessation. I believe that the gifts continue today. Why? Because... God never changes. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I always say, don't ever base your theology on either somebody's excesses or your own experience. Base your theology on the word of God. And as long as you base your theology on the word of God, because listen, you may never have the gift of tongues. That doesn't mean they don't exist. God's just not using that in your life. What a lot of people do is they don't have the experience or they watch the excesses of certain groups within Christianity that say, oh, because of their excesses, I'm going to react to that. Or because of my experience, I'm going to theologize my experience. And I would always say reactionary theology or you just trying to work out the stuff in your own life theology is not the God of the Bible. That's just us making ourselves God and de developing theologies based around that. So let the word of God be your guide. That's why we have it. God gave us everything that we need for life and godliness. Now, in the midst of this, in verse 26, we find out that this was not localized to the tabernacle because there are two men, Eldad and Medad, who the Spirit rested upon them as well. They were part of the 70, but they didn't go on out. Now, we don't know why they weren't with the rest of them, but notice the Spirit of God reached them in the camp as well, and they began to prophesy in the camp. And what we find out is that Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant and one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. See, so they find out that not only are these elders prophesying, but there's two of them that are in the camp, and they're prophesying, and they're freaked out, like, oh, it's not supposed to be this way. And then Mo we find out that Joshua is Moses' assistant, one of his choice men. Now, you guys who've read some of your Bible, you realize that Moses, his leadership is going to be handed to who? Joshua, the son of Nun. And so before Joshua was able to lead the children of Israel, he served alongside the leader of the children of Israel. And my friends, this is good old-fashioned discipleship.
Joshua learned how to lead serving alongside Moses, who was the leader. And brothers, sisters, listen, you need to invite people to join you in life, to learn alongside of you. I've always heard it said that ministry is not taught, it's caught. I learned how to be a pastor because my pastor took me under his wing. I learned what a Christian marriage was because my pastor invited me to see the way he treated his wife and the way he treated his kids. And each one of us, no matter where we are on our faith journey, there's always somebody who understands less than you do. If you've been a Christian for one minute, there's whole scores of people who haven't been Christians for any minutes, and you can pour into them and invite them along in life. Older men should raise up younger men. Older women should disciple younger women to understand what it means to be a child of God. And the church needs brothers and sisters to pour into younger brothers and sisters. And it's interesting. Joshua is loyal to Moses. He's like, my Lord, you need to forbid them. See, now, this is where it gets tricky. Because Moses is the leader. Moses says, look, you have to come on out, and the Spirit's going to come upon you. And for 68 of the guys, it did, but two guys weren't there. And Joshua's like, no, no, it's not supposed to be that way. Moses, this is subverting your leadership. See, Joshua is more devoted to Moses than he is to what God is doing. But notice how Moses leads Joshua. He says, are you zealous for my sake? This is verse 29. Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. My friends, Moses is golden right here. He says, listen, it's not about my leadership. Would it be God's pleasure to place his spirit on all of his kids? that everyone would prophesy. See, this is the heart of a solid leader. It's not about me. Would that God would bless all of his kids, that I wouldn't even need to be here. And we have to be careful because our cultural values is that you need to make sure that you are needed, that gives you job security, that gives you all these things that our culture says we want. And so we have a tendency to lock down and not share everything. But that is the world's way, not the Lord's way. See, a true godly leader says, if God has given me his spirit, would to God that every one of God's kids would have his spirit. Moses saying, Joshua, it's not about me. It's about God and his people. And you know what's beautiful about this? Joshua learns this. See, don't miss the fact that you can say, oh, Joshua got it wrong. But no, oftentimes the way you learn is by getting it wrong, right? You have to go through the experience of not getting it right in order to learn. This is how we do it. We learn more by making mistakes in some ways than we learn by actually succeeding. Because now you can imagine Joshua after that being like, oh, man. My leader is telling me not to be zealous for him, but to be zealous for the purposes and plans of God. Jesus is real. Prophets weren't popular because they told the future, but because they challenged the status quo. As Pastor Daniel explained, Christians don't usually want to be challenged at church, but affirmed. 
But God's plan is for the Word to challenge us. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. We're confident that today's message has blessed and encouraged you. Jesus is Real Radio is impacting communities all over the United States and even reaching those in prison. It's a wonderful ministry that you can be a part of. We'd like to invite you to partner with us. Through the month of June, we are encouraging you to pray about financially supporting Jesus is Real Radio. Your financial support helps us continue and expand the mission of proclaiming that Jesus is real. This month, we'd like to say thank you to anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $25 or more by sending you a Jesus is Real Radio coffee mug. Every morning when you fill up to start the day, you'll be reminded to pray for the team here at Jesus is Real Radio. Check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. There you'll find an option to make your donation and receive your Jesus is Real Radio coffee mug. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will teach about how we learn by making mistakes, not by always getting it right. Joshua learns that the Lord's way is about God and his people, not people by themselves. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series, Wilderness. Until then, may God bless.